Hi, you're listening to Thoughtful Wellness Revolution with Zara and Hien, a place where we believe wellness isn't wellness if it's just for you. Today, we are speaking to the lovely Jessica Young, a movement facilitator and the creator of meaningful the Meaningful Movement Training located in Toronto, Toronto, Canada. So Jess, what's on your mind today? Ooh, what a question. I want to thank you both so much for having me. First and foremost, uh, I want to give a little bit of a background that uh, Hian and I first connected. When did we connect? Last it was July year? last year. July. July last year. Uh, and, and, you know, the power of the internet. <laughs> How I found another teacher who was so passionate about uh, the things that I am passionate about and he and welcoming me into uh, her community and then getting to meet you Zara like it's just been a, a, like just like a beautiful ride so I, I just kind of wanted to mention that and to start on my mind like how much time do we have I have lots to say <laughs> I have lots to say um yeah where where should we start I don't even know well, we are really happy to have you here, and it's been so good to know you. And um, we just want to know, you know, first and foremost, about your journey into uh, yoga and movement and all the things that you sort of offer now, a little bit onto how you got here. Sure. So I started taking dance classes when I was four years old. So I had my little ballerina shoes and I just loved it. Um, and I continued doing that for about 10 years and I was doing competitions and things like that. And then also exploring other types of movement. Uh, one of my favorite to kind of talk about is uh, traditional Chinese dance, which is something that I was so um, happy to learn when I was younger. And in terms of yoga, I would say that probably in university was when I probably took a class at, you know, your quote unquote commercial yoga studio and uh, was on and off with that for a bit. Um, in my pre, I like to say like in my previous life, I was a journalist and I was a journalist uh, for about 10 years. So I became uh, quite ill and decided to leave that profession. And so the opportunity kind of came about to do uh, a YTT, so a yoga teacher training. And I graduated from that in 2017. And I quickly learned through the yoga teacher training that uh, my passion and my focus was on trauma. And when I first heard the word trauma and yoga, my eyes just kind of, right, <laughs> uh, lit up. And I saw so many connections within myself, the way I am, my personality, and how I was navigating the world and what I wanted to do with my life. So, um, that has been my focus since graduating is learning how to be more trauma informed, eating disorder informed and working from an anti-oppressive lens. Yeah, all that sounds really awesome. And is one of the things, one of the many things about you that I adore is that I can tell you're very committed to offering, um, you know, the practices that you share in a way that 
is really helpful to people and as you know harm reducing as much as possible or harm harm reduction I don't know what <laughs> you know what I mean um and I just like really admire and respect that because um I try to do the same and you know maybe we can get into it um maybe most of the industry is not like us <laughs> maybe most of the industry is not like us um which makes things um a bit interesting I'm curious to know how you do your work uh, since you mentioned that. And so I know that means, I know that you've done like quite a few, like you've done a lot of trainings. <laughs> I know that's one of the things that um, I learned about you. Um, just, you know, you go into her about page, y'all, on her website. Like she has uh, done so many amazing trainings. And so I know that you do or have a lot of knowledge and experience. And, and how does that translate into you know, how you actually offer your offerings or how you actually hold your spaces or uh, the way that you, you know, even market or talk about um, that your offerings. Sure. And I, before I get into, I know we talked a little bit about trainings. I just kind of want to name it right now that most trainings, or at least the trainings that I see, it doesn't make you good. It doesn't make you an expert in it. It means that you had the financial means to pay the registration fee and then get your certificate. So, and there's also- Say it, just say it. (laughs) Here we go, here, let's get started. Let me get comfortable in my chair. And I also wanna name that so much of this, right? If we look at different alliances and like what's required that this is really for people who are financially privileged to do so. And I also feel, and this is something that I've been working on about how to formulate and discuss in community is the idea of the intrinsic wisdom that exists within our own people and our own cultures. And you can't quantify that or put it into a training, right? So what about that type of knowledge? What about that type of wisdom? So I, I just kind of wanted to say that right off the bat. That's kind of what came to my head. You'll notice I just do that a lot. <laughs> I just speak uh, this way. We love um, it. We love it. We're the same. Okay, Zara and I are the same. <laughs> yes, I'm in good company. I'm in good company. Um, so yeah, to kind of bring it back to my work, I think my work, you know, on training teachers or like how to make offerings more inclusive as well as public classes, um, which I do virtually and workshops uh, that combine, I love to combine movement and community art creation like together. That is odd. Like that is where I am the most happiest and alive when I see these two worlds uh, meld together in the way that they should. Um, But I work from a trauma and eating disorder informed lens because that's what I need. I need to be in spaces that focus on that because I know having been to those spaces that it is an access point of healing for me. And so I say the same thing with anti-oppression work, right? Or offering exclusive spaces for bigger bodies, for people of color. It's because I've been there And now I know the difference having not been there and been there. And so this is where, this is the why, right? About how I teach. Um, So there are some fundamentals if you come to 
any type of class or training, right? And I try to, if we look at public, let's say your, your regular one hour fitness class, right? Virtually, I don't, I like to think of it as, and I often describe it as, this is our time together and it's a container of care, right? For the next hour, this is about you caring for yourself. So you know what? That might look like listening to me, seeing what you want to do. And the three of us have talked about this, right? Things being experiential and to focus on curiosity and what feels good, leaning into joy, especially when you are from oppressed communities, right? Survival is where we're at. So what about joy? How can we access joy, right? Sometimes that feels so far away. So that's what um, something I like to always tell people when they come to classes is it's your time. And so how that looks can be so different and it can be nothing like what I'm doing or the other folks in the room, right? If, I, if just being a part of the class allows you, hey, Jessica's cool. If I tend to myself, I can go grab a sip of water. If I'm hungry, Jessica encourages me to sit there on camera and just like nourish yourself, right? Just nourish yourself. And I think holding the different identities that I do, um, I identify as somebody in a bigger body. I'm a person of color. I'm somebody with a chronic illness, like all these different, right? Layers of things. I need that. I don't need to follow a teacher and push beyond my limits and not listen to my body. I do that all day. I do that all day. And so something that I like to say in class is, what's it like to move at a reduced pace? And what's it like to come to a class and move with less effort? I'm not asking you for a hundred. I'm asking you and giving you an opportunity to exercise. And we talk about working muscles. What about the muscle of sustainability? Because if I know how to work at 50% to some, whatever the ideal goal is, like to do what, I don't even know these days, but right, can we operate reduced pace, reduced effort? And so that's kind of um, my approach with a lot of things is, is kind of like those type of, of elements. Thank you so much for sharing that. As someone who has had a complex relationship with movement and food, the idea of coming to movement as something where I should feel joy and something for me was so liberating and knowing that people can go to spaces where that, that you are cultivating that for other people is so powerful. And I just, I really want to thank you as someone who I'm sure would benefit from that space. And now is like, really like when stresses next class. Um, <laughs> but I also wanted to, you mentioned uh, how you do a lot of online work, like teaching virtually. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that because I think that's a bit different than the typical quote unquote yoga instructor movement facilitator where you are studio or gym or facility based. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about virtual teaching. So like I think most 
movement teachers. Uh, it wasn't part of how I worked until the pandemic. And then we were all like, how do I mute myself? Right? <laughs> like, like we had to figure out all these things. And so it was, you know, I, I'm going to speak from my own experience when the pandemic hit, uh, for me, it was really difficult, but it also allowed me, and I think this is really interesting, um, I have the extreme privilege to feel safe in my own home, number one. That's not, that's not a given for a lot of people. And two, not being in a physical room where I had to see 20 other people who don't look like me uh, made a difference, right? It made a difference about how I could access and experience different teachers. Um, And because I feel comfortable in my own home, right? I had, I felt like I had a lot of options keeping my camera on or off, how I decided to engage, right? There was a lot, a lot of different elements that just weren't available to me in, in a, uh, you know, in real life, in studio class. And I found that for me really, really beneficial as I started to explore uh, new teachers. And if you want me to talk a little bit about um, being trauma-informed virtually, I, I am happy. I am happy to do that as well. I would love that. Yeah. I, I'm sure Hien would as well. <laughs> yeah. So there's, so here, let me give a perfect example, me going to Hien's class. So this is beautiful because Hien sets it up and I, um, you know, this is something I'm learning along the way about expectations and what, and what it's like. So in virtual classes, like what if you've never taken one before? The whole experience can be quite uh, jarring to your system. So what I love going into Hian's classes, Hian always explains what's happening. And uh, something else that I love is Hian will also uh, let us know to change our names so that we have our pronouns in there. And it's like, okay, you changed the names, big whoop, but it is a big deal. It is a big deal and we need to honor people and also communicate with people respectfully. So these are just little things, right? That we can add in. It's also about how we communicate to our students, right? So I always like to tell people, you can email me beforehand. You can privately message me, right? And there's no expectation when we talk about expectations as to what the student should do. And I think one of the most beautiful things that I've ever happened, that has ever happened to me in a virtual class is leading the space, but watching people do very different things, right? So I see the squares and somebody's talking to me with their camera off. Somebody has decided they're cold. So they went and grabbed some socks and blankets. Um, and they know that they have permission to do that, right? They have permission to move and be and not have a quiet room. Like there will be an animal that makes a sound. There will, this is life. And this is my other qualm about the pandemic is all this talk about um, work from home, which I think is complete bullshit. Uh, we are trying to work and be as productive as we were before the pandemic. And we do that with little to no acknowledgement of people's health. 100%. And I, yeah, and I say that for 
the teachers as well. What is expected of the teacher to hold a trauma-informed space? Does the studio that you work for support you in that or do they give you the login and say, see you later? Like what are the conditions that you're working in and how are people, you'll hear me speak, I'm very big on teachers' rights. How are we supporting the teachers in this case? If you want a teacher to hold a trauma-informed space, you should know that trauma-informed work doesn't work and exist on its own. And if the studio is making money off of you, off of you, I'm gonna say that three times as if this is a broken video chain here, you deserve to be supported. And if they're gonna use the word trauma-informed, they better be providing that education to you. Oh my gosh, yes, you said so many things that I know Zara and I are just like, ah, so amazing and beautiful and so right on. And I just wanna say, um, thank you for mentioning me as an example of um, trying to be trauma-informed virtually. I definitely agree with you on, um, and, and I felt this way too when I taught in person, um, but when I see people doing a bunch of different things than what I am doing or have offered, like I love seeing that because I understand that that is a person who feels comfortable enough or safe enough in my space that I'm holding to just do what they have to do to nourish themselves, which is so like the opposite of, I feel like almost every other space we're in. It's like almost every other space we're in in society. It's like there is someone, there's some kind of hierarchy and there's someone who's expecting you to do things like a certain way. And it's so good to see people kind of unlearn that a little bit or let go of that thinking a little bit like, oh, I'm here. And like, I need to do exactly what that person is telling me to do. And like, oh, even if I modify, I have to modify based on what they tell me to do. You know, have you ever been to a class like that where you might want to take a break or modify, but then the teacher is just like on, like, like on your back about the way you even modify for yourself. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, Definitely, Jess and I, and probably Zara, too, we're, we're not like that at all. If you ever come to any of our classes, like, you do you, and, and we'll love you for it. Um, but, yeah, I think the things that you say about, you know, teachers is so true. And I honestly felt a little bit called out because, you know, I've been, and we've talked about this, like, I have been working basically all pandemic, like, almost nonstop. Like, I think, you know, maybe Christmas week or whatever, I didn't have any classes, uh, but I've still been teaching. Um, and, I, and I do think that is something that is important um, for studios or teachers at studios to really consider as well is that, you know, is the studio, like, do they care about you as a human being? Or are they still seeing, who's trying to survive their pandemic, by the way? Or do they see you as just like, oh, like, we need to keep our business going because I was at a place, um, I'm not really working there anymore, but I was at a place at the end of the pandemic where so much of the emails and communications and even the meetings we had, they were so focused on the business. You know, they were so focused on like, when are we going to open again? Or like what kind of offerings we're going to have and, and just so focused on the business. Um, and of course there's that like, oh yeah, like we appreciate teachers, but we're not, you know, showing any other support other than just saying, yeah, thanks for coming to the meeting or like, thanks for continuing to teach during a fucking pandemic. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's so, um, 
hard to believe for me sometimes to, to kind of see, I mean, it doesn't surprise me at this point, and I don't think it surprises either of you, Justin Zara, but it's kind of unbelievable how dehumanizing the systems we live under is. Like, oh, we got to try to keep our business open. Oh, oh. yeah, our teachers, they're, they're also trying to survive a pandemic and also we don't even make that much to begin with but we're gonna keep pushing them like what can you do what classes can you teach oh and can you teach in person Uh, that's one thing I noticed a lot too during the pandemic was immediately they were like oh can you teach in person I live in Florida so mind you like we don't really there was there was a pandemic here but I'm not sure anybody heard about it um (laughs) bad Florida joke uh but uh (laughs) Like, so it was immediately like, when can you get back to work? When can you like, and when I expressed concern about like, hey, like, I want to keep my mask on. Can we ask other students to keep their masks on? It was like, nope. Um, There was no concern for my safety whatsoever. And I think one of the things I was talking to another yoga teacher about, and I think I've probably talked to Jen about, um, and I'm sure Josh, you can relate, is the teaching online, like once the pandemic started and most of us were not teaching in studios anymore, and like we were not studio reliant for like building community. I think most yoga teachers are happier now not being in studios because you create your audience, you create your space, you're respected because like Jess was saying, so many yoga teachers are not respected or movement facilitators are not respected in the spaces that they're teaching in. Like it's keep going, keep going. You're here to serve us. And don't forget all that free karma yoga because we need free labor for our business to run. Don't forget that. Um. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. And um, I, I wrote some things down before we connected because I also wanted to use this time as, as reflection. And I just wanted to share, cause I feel like it kind of goes into what we're all saying. I wrote, we live in a world where people of color and other marginalized communities have to move their bodies and minds strategically and constantly because their safety is in question. So as a teacher, I ask myself this question, like what type of environment am I fostering when I know this type of oppression exists? And I think the harder question to ask yourself is, am I in an environment right? Am I being treated the same way? You know, I can offer that, but is that being given to me? And if it's not being given to me, then I think I need to kind of take a step back. I feel really, really fortunate that I am part of a community and have many relationships with, uh, movement teachers in this area. Um, And so I kind of wanted to list that. And I also know that I can speak this way because my income does not rely on studios. And so I I just kind of want to name that, that teachers and students, um, I feel very grateful that they feel confident and in telling me their stories uh, privately, of course, but in service of of the work that I do. But I just think that that's so, um, I just kind of want to name that. I can say that because I don't rely on them, right? But what if you do? Um, I don't work at studios because it's been proven to me 
uh, time and again that it's not safe for me to work there, nor will they compensate me properly. And I want to offer an exercise that 100% sucks. I just want to say that right off the bat. But if you work for a studio or not, doesn't, doesn't even matter. I want you, if you are a movement teacher, especially if you're doing this full time, right? This is part of like what you want to invest most of your time into. I want you to calculate and put on a timer every time you prep for a class, you answer an email, you navigate the 10,000 unrealistic things that are being asked of you from different people, the amount of time you give emotional labor. Emotional labor is something that is baffling to me, the way it is being asked of oppressed people, I just think is so ridiculous. Um, so if you were to calculate every single minute you tidied your space to teach, every sound check, every, oh, I didn't get the link and see what your pay is, because I don't know about where you are, but here you get paid for the hour that you teach and nothing else. Is that the same? In Florida, at least that's what I get. Yeah. I think it's usually like them in the United States too. Or you get paid even worse per head. And you can get paid like three or four dollars a head. And so if one or two people comes, you get four bucks, eight bucks, nothing. Um, so what's, yeah. So if that's the system we're working in, how much are you making per hour? And I say that as a teacher, and again, maybe not the most popular <laughs> way of thinking, but I raised my prices and I raised them. Thank you, Hian, for the stuff. Um, because I can't do this work like that. And I think I feel a certain way when people come for free or for $5 because I'm trying to compete with a studio that had a different type of uh, financial security than I had that you can do that. And because so much work is done for free. But if I'm thinking of myself as a business owner, which most yoga and movement teachers are really, I think that is a exercise that will shock you. And if you don't want to do it, I want to um, offer the question why? Because I avoided doing that for a very long time because I didn't want to admit the ways in which I was just struggling in so many different ways, not feeling supported, not having my work respected, wanting me to do things for free, using yoga and karma as how they were going to spin it to me, but they were operating in a way which was about making money. So I they were think exploiting that's- exploiting you. Like that's what it came down to is they were using yoga. I'm, I'm putting like a little- bunny air quotes here to exploit you and other teachers yeah and who wants to admit that who wants to admit that you just like so for me it's like how many years how many thousands of dollars how many different ways you sacrifice and we're there's only a limited number of this is the other thing about teachers we all look at each other competition she's my okay okay zara teaches uh uh restorative shit like gotta gotta watch and and i just was so sick of it because i realized that so much 
of the issues we face as teachers is because, is because we're competition, we're competition. So I'm not going to talk to you about what's going on over here. And I'm not going to talk about my pay or whatever. Right. And, and I, I need to look at you as competition and what happens there. Right. We have this break in communication and this assumption we, and I'm just, I'm not, I refuse to operate that way. I refuse. I do not want to be in competition with both of you. I want to be in community with both of you. And this is, this is, this is just where I'm at with my life. And, uh, and I, I really believe that. And that's, that's kind of my, so what are you getting paid? And I think uh, the other issue um, I'm having is how quickly, how quickly, at least here in Toronto, the ways in which we started to talk about racism and it was almost as if in an instant, the whole staff was all people of color. And I look at the speed at which that happened. And for me, if I'm tapping into my body, there are alarm signals going off. So other questions I want to kind of bring up for teachers is how do you get paid? Do you get sick days? How do you deal as a teacher, whether you've been there for a long time or not, with this sudden change in staff? How was that communicated to you? How do you communicate with these new members who are, in most part, at least over here, people of color? And how is this studio investing in you, aside from using your photo? I want to know. Those are, those are some of the questions I want to know. They're utilizing your photo. They're, yeah, they're, you're on their payroll. But teachers, I am telling you, we need to get together and we need to get loud about this. Because what we do is so fucking important. During a pandemic, here we are, three teachers or facilitators who provide space where trauma-informed um, eating disorder informed, anti-oppression work is part of our practice, part of our practice that we're offering people. And I want you to think about how you're being compensated and how you're being treated. And is there a discrepancy there between how you uh, communicate and relate to your students and what's happening to you? And I think that's really, really difficult to come to terms with. Um, and I know I've been going on for a while, so I'll, pa I'll pause there. But uh, the big question is, and I've said this before, and I wish somebody, if somebody knows who said this quote, I'm, I'm pretty sure I probably heard it from somebody else, but I say this often and now it's kind of been attached to me, <laughs> but it, it's true because I say it often, who takes care of the caregivers? Because as a movement teacher in a pandemic where we're supposed to be home, your job is so valuable and important and you should be treated that way and you should be compensated that way oh my gosh Jess you just you know what you, you should go create your own podcast because you have so much wisdom and and beautiful insights to share but I'll I'll let Zara I think you were gonna say something um well there's just like so much there that I thought was just absolutely brilliant. I agree with you and you should have your own podcast. Um, I don't even know where to start with that, but I love what you said about um, how carers or like who's caring for the carers, you know what I mean? Um, Cause I think so often 
in yoga studios, you're expected to like take that studio's training or that workshop or show up for free and do all these things. And especially for folks of color, marginalized folks, oppressed folks, like I'm fucking tired and I have to like work. I don't have free time and money to just like give and throw at you. Um, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of other people in a lot more ways than it is for me, you know, and other in each of us. Um, but I truly forgot what I was saying, but you've made a really brilliant point about something that I would really love to come back to. So I'm going to let Hien talk for a minute and hope it talks back to me. Yeah, I just, I think some of the questions you posed are so, I think they're so daring. I mean, I think they're so needed. Um, but I felt myself get a little bit like, oh, a little bit uncomfortable about them because I think it ends up, because I think it, it ends up, if we're really going to reflect on them, we will find the truth. And the truth is going to be something uncomfortable. And the truth is going to be different than sort of like what we've been told, like sort of the lies we've been fed about how like great and wonderful it is to be a yoga teacher and part of like a studio community. And I think about what is expected of us and how, I mean, like how, how we're so exploited. Like, and, and I know like, you know, there are exploitative industries everywhere. I mean, we're living under capitalism. So it's all, it's all exploitation one way or another, most of it, by the way. Um, but I just think like, wow, like, like the way, like where my mind goes is like, damn, just, yeah. Like we are so exploited and it is something that, it's just so terrible and awful, but like people don't, especially yoga consumers, like maybe the typical yoga consumer doesn't really think about, doesn't even realize, like they think they should just take free classes or just as cheap as possible, right? Like people, people are always wanting like the cheapest deal. And like, then you have those studios who do like the new, the new student passes for like an obscenely cheap amount that ends up cheapening everyone else right and everywhere like and it's it's so bizarre that like somehow that has become the norm and I'm just so grateful for you and voicing about that because I think you're right and I think more of us need to like realize this and grapple with that uncomfortable truth especially if you're a yoga teacher from you know like a marginalized community right? Because I mean, it's definitely different. This conversation, if you were having it with white yoga teachers, that's, that's a whole other thing, right? Like that would be a different conversation. Um, but for yoga teachers of color, I think like, yeah, damn shit. It was, it was hard enough to get into the door. And then now I'm getting exploited. And then mm -hmm. now I'm being tokenized. Yeah. And you know what? This is traumatic as fuck. And so much for being a trauma-informed space. Like, um, yeah, yes. I sorry, I want to add on that because I remember what I wrote what I was going to say is um that it also is sold to us the idea that like we need studios to be teachers and we're expected to take this stuff because it's just part of being a yoga teacher. If you love it, if you love teaching, you should just do it. And it's like, yeah, I also like love paying my bills and like having food to eat, you know what I mean? Like and not love being not being exploited I love not being tokenized as well like yeah. I mean like those are just like little things I want out of my life and I don't think it's too much to ask for um but I love you both of you like Kian and Jess because you guys are representative of the possibility and the reality that change is there um we just have to be willing like to take a different avenue. And I think we talked about Hien, a little bit about this with Sophia on our podcast about like how we have to make a different road like we think about 
the world and it's like a highway of one way to get there. And like, really like what marginalized folks do or like anti-capitalist work or anti-oppression work, all this stuff, we're creating different roads to get to the same place, like, or a new place, you know what I mean? Like, and that's really what your work is. And I think that's why it's so wonderful and beneficial. And I'm happy that you were able to speak on that. And if you'd love to still speak on that, keep speaking on it, if you have more to say, because it's truly so necessary and it is uncomfortable to think about because when you're a yoga teacher, you think you're, you want to do it for the right reasons and I want to be good. Oh, and if I'm concerned about money, then I'm being a fucking asshole. And it's like, no, you're not being an asshole because you don't want to be exploited by the people you work for and with. So right off the bat, right? Like money is so uncomfortable to talk about. So I think there's one and Zara, what you said is something that I have heard repeatedly from people, which is, I had to move and I had to drop my rates because I need to be competitive. And there's also this notion of if I don't make it that low, then I'm not being accessible. And so this one is another thing that uh, I know not everyone wants to really dive in and discover, right? Or really kind of see that. But yeah, I think it's really interesting how we price things and also our relationship to money in an ideal world would like money be an issue of course not right we would take it out of the equation and and that makes total sense but for me i think i need to look at the system we're in now and money is a way and the easiest way in which we can exchange right we know the currency of it so what happens when you label your class $5 for the hour, and we're talking about for the hour, we're not talking about what you prepped for it, what's required, your Zoom membership, your internet, all those things. How do you feel? And if, if that is the case, just say you had a whole bunch of people who followed you in the studio and took your classes and now you're doing it independently, like what message does that send? when they were paying $30 for a drop-in and now it's next to free. And I'm not saying that there's an issue with that or that, but I'm saying as the consumer, you need to think about when everyone does that. And, and we've seen this with a lot of industries when the pandemic started, when virtual was equated as being cheaper or less than the in-person. And so I have heard that many times. Well, this isn't in person, Jessica, you know, it was all about the energy I felt. And I would really want to speak candidly and off recording with teachers and see what they would say about how they show up for people. Because I, I only know the teachers that I know and they fucking show up for you and they are energetically it is not lesser than, it is not lesser than. And I can see my face in the Zoom, right? Starting to feel activated because these teachers are part of my family, right? This is about my sustainability and your sustainability. So what happens when everyone drops the price? They could drop the price next to free because you don't think people who can drop prices to free don't have something in the bank to be able to offer that kind of price point And so again, for me, I feel a certain type of way when I teach and, and don't get me wrong. I have sliding scale. I have free passes, 
but I keep the price what it is. And I'm going to argue, and maybe this is another eye roll for some people. I don't know. I'm going to argue at $15 a class, it is extremely low, which might be a like, that's so expensive. Oh, no, for the it, it no it's not. Especially when that pricing has been around for like, what, 10 years now? Because like, I'm thinking, I remember I started to attend a yoga studio about 10 years ago, and it was about $15, $16 a class, like a drop in. And we know how much prices everywhere else has gone up. Rent has gone up. (laughs) Everything has gone up and it's virtual. And so um, I just think that that's a really difficult one. And okay, cool, Jess, you think your classes should be priced higher? What, like, I got to stay accessible. And, and again, right, we were in a, we're, we're in a culture that has a scarcity mindset right? So it's, I can't be called out. If I keep my price to $15, then I'm going to look like, oh, I'm not acknowledging that it's a pandemic. Oh, so my question to you is, my dear fellow teachers whom I love so much, is if the financial barrier is what's keeping people from coming to your class, how many people do you have coming when it's free or $5? Shouldn't it be packed? Shouldn't you have all these See, Like that to me is where the discrepancy lies because we're doing it. And, you know, and, and I say this as a teacher who also did sliding scale, and I'm not saying that sliding scale is wrong. Absolutely not. But what I'm saying is as a collective, okay, if we look at our pricing and our collective power as teachers, to me, it doesn't add up. And if really, if financial, if if the reason why you're pricing it so low is because you think this is an like this is a barrier for people, I want to one ask who was coming to your class before the pandemic, because there's a discrepancy there, right? Are you treating the people who have the money like they don't have any? And when you do that and you go five dollars free. And you kind of have that attitude and I'm using my body to express, right? How teachers are trying to navigate this time. I wish I could uh, really like embody the awkward baby donkey that is trying to walk and you're kind of looking and going, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not, you know, like that's what I feel. And I say that as the awkward donkey, like I did that too. I was like, I got to keep the prices low. I can't, you know, do that. But that's what somebody said to me once. If that's the case, Jessica, then you should have all these people, right? I should, my, my Zoom room should be packed. It's not the case. And so what I'm asking people to do is be reflective about the why and why do you have to price it that way? And who are you competing with? And why are we even there in the first place? Why do we even think this is a good idea in the first place? Now, is every studio like that? Absolutely not. Am I a teacher who like figured out the answers and is here being like preachy and loud? Like I have failed so many times. Like I can't keep count. I too have fumbled. I I don't want to sit here pretending that I've been like aware of all the different like inequalities before everyone else. Like that's not what I'm here. I'm here as somebody 
who is trying their best to resource and also understanding my privilege, having done the type of job that I had before, I understand my privilege in my voice and what I say. And so I'm taking it here. So I'm here to open conversation, but also ask these difficult questions that people don't want to ask. I'm here for that. Oh, Jess, I love you so much. Like I just, wow, blowing my mind. And I think you're absolutely right. I love the movement, the you're so in your when you were sewing your body and explaining and the way you use your hands like I love it so much and I I am just really happy to have you here and and to have you share this because I really hope people think about it and including people who are consumers of yoga because I know yeah. for instance we've had conversations where basically you're trying to compensate me more than I like put out you know like <laughs> like because and and I and I love that so much about you because I can tell you're so passionate about this topic and about really being in integrity as you know a yoga teacher for yourself and catering to your own needs and really valuing yourself but also that you also value your fellow teachers and 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 me and your peers right and I just it's it's wonderful and I really hope more people really consider this like I know some of y'all are probably like oh this is so uncomfortable but yes that's why that's why you need to reflect on it so we can grow and 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 you know try to find a way of navigating and being in this world without being so I don't know feeling so like crushed and exploited and undervalued and as you talk about some of these things, like I felt it, I was like oh yeah like I felt that as a teacher and like the lack of support and like you know, places where like you are also the admin and cleaner afterwards, you get paid for the hour you teach, but then you have to come before class and stay after. Yeah. And, uh, I just want to add on the emotional label part of that, that Jess touched on earlier. You're also, cause I remember that I've worked in studios where they're like, you're expected to come early and build relationships with the students and stay late and listen to them. And it's like, of course I want to build connection with my students. That's why I like teaching. But to feel like it's part of my job to have to listen to, I I specifically remember I had a Karen once who would just come and bitch to me after class. And it's like, I feel for you and like, I'm okay giving you a little bit of room. You know what I mean? But it's another thing if you're taking like, 30, 45 minutes of my time. Plus I have to do admin. Plus I have to clean and I'm not getting paid for any of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's like a whole of, yeah. Emotional labor expected as well. Yes. Often not acknowledged, rarely acknowledged. And do you know what, Sarah, when you say that I used to be right. The teacher who would volunteer. And not only would I come in and do anything you wanted, I would do it with a smile, right? I would do it with a smile. And so, you know, now that we are in the place that we are, where as a collective and, uh, you know, in a global community, we can say we're talking about race more than we were before. These are part of the difficult conversations that we need to have. So for me, I am quite reflective about, um, you know, this idea of the model minority myth and that how that plays into the ways in which I am the most compliant, um, right, 
kind, giving oh, person. You're, you're making right? like have like flashbacks of me work and the certain dynamics I've had at certain studios. I'm just like, oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, right. All of that exists. All of that is valid. And if you feel that way, then that is true to you and you don't have to answer to anyone else. Um, but that is part of if, if, if we're talking about being teachers and, you know, we've spent a lot of time, uh, you know, focusing on studio culture because it's a problem, but this also is a prime example of how um, racism continues to live not only, right, within white folks, but like me too, right? Me too, as a person of color, me too. And so uh, we talked a little bit about this, you know, before we hit record, but, um, you know, I wish we could all just admit the ways that we're, we're all racist, we're all problematic, we're all ableist, because this is part of the culture that we're in. Um, and, and what's it like to admit that? And then get and, to work and, so we can get to work. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But, but this is right where we're skipping some things. Um, and, and I am happy to provide some resources afterwards. I can send some links, um, to other people and places because a lot of what I've said is from just some beautiful different teachers that I've had too. So I'm, I'm happy to pass that along, but yeah, coming together, right. Community over competition is something that really resonates with me. I feel that so deeply Hian, in your spaces. And from what I've, I've gotten to know about you, Zara, the exact same and shit needs to get fixed and, and, and we can do that together. And so that's kind of like my last thing for teachers, especially is, you know, in ways we know and in ways we don't know, we've been navigating um, this way of working within wellness. And I really think it's time we come together and there's some beautiful, beautiful things happening um, that are really centering BIPOC folks uh, that I'd be so happy to share with. But like, here is where we can really come together and advocate for ourselves um, and, and find these places where who cares for the caregivers, right? And so that's part of like my passion too, is who takes care of you, Hian and Zara, and who can you go to? And do you have those things in place? Um, and you're both laughing. So <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm being called out. <laughs> because the truth is I'm still trying to answer that question. And this is where... I wanted to ask you a little bit about that as well, Jess, is how do you take care of yourself? So, I mean, I think for me and you both, we would answer each other because what I try to do when I can is to go to one of your BIPOC classes <laughs> and then you attend my BIPOC classes. <laughs> um, so there's that, you know, Zara and I sometimes FaceTime for hours and hours. <laughs> Those are some of my ways, but how do you, Jess, take care of yourself, especially since... I know um, you you hold a lot of space for people or, or the way you hold space. I know you put a lot of thought and effort into it. Every time I've gone to any of your classes, I just I can feel like how thoughtful you are in creating the space that day, even if it's just like even when you're taking requests from people and how you like weave it in in the moment. Honestly, people, that's work. Like now that I really think about it, that is work, right? You know how magical it feels when you go to a class and you have a request and your yoga teacher magically weaves it into the class. 
okay, that's work. Like, I think sometimes I forget that that's work because I've gotten to a point where um, I'm skilled enough where it doesn't feel like too much work, but that's work. Like it took me time and training and energy to be able to do that and make it seem seamlessly and easy. Absolutely. It is, it is work. And I think um, this is another issue with the service industry, especially as a service industry that went into digital. People don't have something in their hands. And so oftentimes the way we value things is so kind of skewed on that, right? When we look at goods versus uh, services, uh, but it's that exact skill he and that is what I love about your classes, because let's look at the root of what that is. You're acknowledging me in that process. It's not, I'm the teacher, I'm in control. I'm going to tell you what to do. And if you want to be quote successful and good, you're going to do it. And you're going to push past whatever it is that whatever line you have in your mind, I'm going to help you push past it and achieve what? achieve what? And so what I love about that and, and why I also practice that too as a teacher is that is an avenue to which I can say, Hian, I acknowledge your presence in my class. And I also, right? And I'm trying to get better. I cannot... I cannot probably get like if I had 10 people in class and 10 people had recommendations like that would be really hard uh, to do. But that's an act. That's an act of me saying you're not a number you're a person. And that is what I love. And it also opens up the conversation, right? And we get to learn more about the people who come. And so this has been my work too. And sometimes it has felt strenuous and I've had to find different methods, but I want to know who you are. And I'm not asking what you do to pay the bills. I don't give a shit about that. I want to know what makes you smile. I want to know what has butterflies in your stomach. I want to know every time you see whatever artist, your favorite singer, what happens to your body. I want to know these things as your teacher. So that's, this is like a very simple way of showing how we create community. How do we move from a studio model, right? Or a traditional studio model, let's say, and into community creation, it's exactly that. And so that's what I try to do with, with fusing art and movement is, this is information gathering for me. Because if I know Hien loves gardening and is like obsessed, well, our friend Din is like that, just like really into loving like plants and then, if Din comes into my class, I can be like, ooh, let me look at the way the different plants grow. Can I talk about the root system of the plants? Can I talk about nourishment? Can I talk about the plant doesn't bloom every single season? Can we talk about these things, right? And integrate them so that when this person comes into my class, I know what is this bridging gap that we can communicate to each other. That's it. That, that's what I'm here for. Just My mouth is so dry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's what happens when you just share magic with people. It just sucks all the hydrate. What is it when you're hydrated? Hydration from you. Would have sounded better if I could do a sentence, but it's okay. It's 4 p.m. <laughs> Um, yeah, but that's exactly it is I, I mean, I 
No, that's true of Hien. I'm sure that's true of you because Hien loves you and your teaching. Um, the ability to create the space and create something that is able to connect with your individual students and able to create community is just a blessing, a blessing. Thank you. And I, and I should probably answer your question because I didn't really. <laughs> um, so <laughs> how do I take care of myself? Um, that is a work in progress. Uh, I am somebody who really can work nonstop. So for me, taking care of myself is the practice of being mindful of my pace, especially my sense of urgency, right? And so here we talk about all these things that we're, that we're starting to talk about more publicly, uh, boundaries being one of them, right? So how do I honor this? How do I honor this within myself? Um, and I feel like I've spent so much of my life um, seeking the approval of others. So right now, taking care of myself is really about the same kind of concepts that I integrate into class, which is experimentation and being curious about what it is that I actually like, right? And being kind to myself as much as possible throughout that process is, is my challenge and how I take care of myself. Um, and something that recently has been bringing me so much joy, um, and I say this with like the biggest smile I can as an anti-diet advocate is cooking. The way that I have started to look at my relationship with food and during this pandemic and um, a big uh, virtual hug, if you want it, for people who have difficult, difficult relationships with their close family or parental figures. Um, and often I have tied the two so closely together, right? My culture and my relationship to whoever raised you, right? That's a whole nother podcast. But the way that I've been actually and, you know, we as a family here have been looking at foods that have provided us comfort and joy. And we spoke a little bit about this when we talked about uh, on um, the other chat that we've had all together. So so I, I'm bringing that up again because I've been making these very traditional dishes and um, how that's connected with me and thinking about the memories I have of a specific food during times of celebration, times of mourning, times of hardship, how we all come together. Like that has been for me, a form of taking care of myself and also getting to rewrite the narratives that I have about food. So the recent one, I've been doing a Chinese dim sum. <laughs> Now that I've said that publicly, I will also offer my 15,000 photos I take along with the process. Um, and it's just been a joy. It's just been an absolute joy. Oh, I love that. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, sorry, my mic was doing a weird thing. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think, wow, your relationship with having a good and healthy, healthy is a weird word, take that out. Having a communicative relationship with food where you feel safe and nourished, I think that's really wonderful. And I personally now I'm going to ask you for some dim sum recipes when we get off here because I love dim sum. So I'm very excited for you for that. And I want a thousand pictures. Uh, I love it. 
much. Yeah, I've I've seen some pictures. It it looks really freaking good. And also Joss is just amazing at the whole aesthetics thing. Like you're you're so good at taking pictures and putting together, I don't know, collages and photos and you talk about art and movement and yes, you're you're so artistic and poetic just a way that you even teach movement and that's one of the things I y'all that's why I love going to justice class <laughs> when I can but just I wanted to know um as we begin to close what's one thing in wellness um that you would like to see more of and what's one thing in wellness you'd like to see less of and I know you've talked about a lot of things that <laughs> you maybe want to see change um but if you can kind of condense that a little bit for us Warren okay um I want to see wellness live up to its name that's that's kind of where I'm at with that if you want me to be succinct I think that that for me is something that I've written out and something that kind of speaks to what we've been talking about for the last bit yeah I want to see wellness live up to its name I want to be a part of it um, I want to be a part of that change. And I, I really hope more people um, are able to connect where, wherever they at, wherever they are at in the process, right? Wherever they are at. Um, but for us to come together and, and I think a part of what pulls me into like the community art creation or even pulling into my journalism background is, um, do you feel safe enough to tell your story? where you move your body, where you decide to express yourself. Do you even look at it as a form of expression? These, I'm saying all these things, not as a like, I'm so wise and I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm saying this as somebody who has asked these questions of myself is where I decide to invest my time, my money, my body, my mind, right? What lives there? And do I feel comfortable telling the truth of myself and my stories and how I ended up here, do I feel safe doing that and exploring that? Thank you. Thank you. As someone who views art as part of wellness, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much, Jess, for chatting with us. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, people can get in touch with me um, on my website, which is Jess, J-E-S-S-B-B-E.com. And uh, there's a fill out form if you want to communicate and send an email. I'm also on Instagram, although privately, but you can add me. It's Jess B, J-E-S-S-B-E and two underscores. Thank you so much. We will make sure to link that in the show notes. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to the Thoughtful Wellness Revolution podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media and subscribe to wherever you're listening. Mm-hmm.